What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working a Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. My team and I help companies discover and articulate their purpose to embed it into their culture and operations. We work with forward-thinking or forward-reaching organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And we provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about us and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com. With us today is Dr. Ranjay Gulati. He's a professor at Harvard Business School and an expert on leadership, strategy, and organizational growth. Until recently, he chaired the Advanced Management Program, the school's flagship senior leader executive program. He has authored seven books, including Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High-Performance Companies, which which we'll be talking about in today's program. He joins us today from Boston, Dr. Galati. Welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you, Dr. Cortez. Pleasure to be here with you today, and I'm delighted to have a chance to talk to you and your listeners. Thank you. Well, as you know, as we spoke at the, before we got on air, I absolutely loved your gorgeous book. I read it, of course, as I'm prone to do cover to cover. I take copious notes, and I learn from you. So I'm really excited to share this really astounding work with, with our listeners and viewers across the world. So let's start with the superficiality piece, shall we? <laughs> right. One of the things that you say so well in your book is you talk about, you talk about purpose, and of course, I add in the meaning piece for that matter, are entirely overly and improperly used. And you said that most leaders think of purpose functionally or instrumentally, regarding it as a tool they can wield. Could you say more about that? So I think, first of all, I was dying to have a one-word title of my book. Somehow to be the right thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to call it purpose. But the more I wrote this book, the more I researched it, and I went through 18 companies and almost 250 individuals, I discovered that I couldn't call it purpose because Mm -hmm. there was such a misunderstanding and misuse of the word purpose. I myself was confused. To be honest with you, if you told me five years ago, Ranjay, you're going to write a book on deep purpose or purpose, I would have told you, you're crazy. No way. To me, purpose was mission statements, wallpaper. You kind of put it out there and you forgot about it. You didn't do much with it. And and so oh, you once in a while parade it. You know, you show it to investors and oh, you have your annual report or oh, in some motivational speech, you pull it out there, you put it on the walls. It's like it's decoration. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me, then I realized that I had to, to get to deep purpose. I had to work my way through superficial purpose first. Mm-hmm. And even superficial purpose came in many flavors. So I had all these people saying, oh, yeah, we're purpose-driven. And I would say, like, well, show me how. And and it was really confusing, uh, for me at least, because I saw a number of instances where on face value, they looked purpose-driven. The more you drove, though, you discovered it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and I think is the sad part, though, is they don't get any of the benefits of having a purpose statement. And then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
because then you say, well, it isn't a, it's a useless thing anyway. And that's why I say they use it instrumentally because they right. think it's a management tool, mm -hmm. uh, but more like tokenism than anything else. Mm -hmm. Well, I like your definition much, much better. So we will be reading from some of your book because it's just so beautifully written. But I really appreciate that the way you contrast that. What you refer to as deep purpose leaders think of purpose as something more fundamental, an existential statement that expresses the firm's very reason for being. Rather than simply pursuing a purpose, these leaders project it faithfully out onto the world. And in their hands, purpose serves as an organizing principle that shapes decision making and binds stakeholders to one another. That sounds much better to me. Well, thank you for that. Uh, but I'll shout out. But I will say one thing is, as I even re reflect on that, I feel I, I didn't clearly unpack two very key ideas that are kind of blended in there into one. The first is, and that's on the cover of the book. By the way, finding a cover for a book that is called a purpose is impossible. Trust me, I understand. By purpose. <laughs> that visual in there is very deliberate. Mm-hmm. A compass. I saw that. I thought the same thing before we got on air. Yeah. That, so the first way in which people use purpose is as an orienting system. It's a way that orients where we are. It forces us to ask the question, why do we exist? Through the why, you are able to sharpen your strategic positioning about where do we want to play, where do we not want to play, what markets do we want to serve, which stakeholders do we want to support, how are we thinking about our business in a multi-stakeholder world we're in today, it just forces clarity and in stormy waters, it gives you orientation the way a compass does for ancient mariners onwards. The second part, though, which is very distinct, is purpose as an operating system. Mm -hmm. And the idea here is that purpose is a way in which things get done, meaning how employees relate to the organization, how your suppliers relate to the organization. It's the system we are using to connect with each other. Now, the classical system of organizing, which has been unfortunately dominated by an economic perspective, which is that the firm is a nexus of contracts, mm. right? Everyone is contractually engaged with the organization. So I'm in a contract with you. You know, you pay me and I give you my time. So it's all about contracting my time. And you create what I would call a very inert, you know, alienated organizations when we do yep. that. Mm -hmm. And so how do you create an operating model where the connection, the way you described even your own very purpose, if you will, I was listening early on, is about creating a workplace where people feel connected in a different way to the organization. So the operating system is very distinct from the compass idea. Yes, I totally, I completely see that. And as we go, we're going to keep peeling this. This is just, there's so much depth that you have in your book that I, of course, that's what I, what I crave and love and want to bring out to the, to our listeners and help educate the world and bring people along. So you're coming with, and you're the one, you're the one spearheading us on. So you go on to say, and it just gets better, is you, you actually uh, found a study and then did a study of your own, of course, um, you did with companies that have gone through unusually deep with purpose and that they, it, and that they treated purpose as an existential intention that informed every decision, practice, and process. They adopted purpose as their operating system, as you just said, perceiving it as a vital animating force with near spiritual power. That's so important, near spiritual power. People get freaked out about that. And as a result, they navigated the, the tumultuous terrain of multi-stakeholder capitalism for more adeptly than most, increasing value for all stakeholders, including investors, over the long term. So there's really important things there. The spiritual piece and the long-term piece is all really important and doesn't get talked about. So, you know, I think the world, the reason I say you have to be all in is 
the world has become a very cynical place today it has yeah especially around purpose because so many companies have gone through the purpose charade right <laughs> or what true. we call purpose washing mm-hmm. i mean uh, you know uh, theranos had a purpose by the way you should read theranos's purpose you should read enron's purpose you should read purdue pharmaceuticals purpose mm-hmm. all invoke this kind of nobility of intention we are dutiful we are responsible we want to change right. the world in a better way look at what's happening to spotify this week right that's a, a case study to watch or facebook right when companies kind of parade a purpose and unfortunately you see a lot of this in some of the tech sector right now that they're suddenly emerging that everyone has been talking about a purpose but it doesn't really mean much right how do we take purpose seriously and and break this cycle of distrust to one where people actually buy into you and you know you are, if i look at the companies i looked at large and small companies and so to me it was fascinating i first saw it in small companies that start to grow fast you know the founder has mm-hmm. a belief and it wasn't just the ben and jerrys and the patagonias of the world right i was looking at gotham green i was looking at one mighty mail i was looking at livongo i'm looking at companies that are fast growth and when the founder either the company grows up and suddenly they're lamenting the loss of something mm-hmm. and i wrote an article called the soul of a startup because they were calling it in soulful terms like oh it's something you know it's a nostalgia about something was there i was like what and i discovered after some digging one of the pillars they lost was purpose mm. that's how that connection to purpose so small growing to large you can see that happening yeah but then i saw large companies doing it i mean the classic example is microsoft with satya nadella but i also saw it at lego i also saw it at etsy so it was not just small companies engaged in a purpose exercise mm okay so that that gives us a lot more depth and then there's another piece here yet still that we haven't talked about that we haven't that that i haven't heard many people actually haven't heard anybody talk about it this way you also add one more element to this dr kalati and that is this notion of adding in moral values to to the purpose piece the purpose statement so that is uh, that uh, when i i see that i recognize that by other companies that i've seen that i i believe are practicing and operating through the purpose but i've never heard anybody outright talk about the importance of embedding moral values into the purpose piece well i think it's really interesting what has happened about the segregation of economic life from uh human life and somewhere along the way in this pursuit of shareholder value maximization mhm we came to a belief system that businesses have no role to play in anything to do with society at large i'm neutral i don't want to because that social stuff gets political very quickly and we don't want business involved in politics even though they are heavily involved in politics but we go through this kind of um idea that ah uh, no 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 i'm not taking a stance on this loaded issue mhm i think society has shown us and individuals shown us that's not acceptable sitting on the sidelines is not a stance not acceptable take a position right you saw that with delta airlines had to take a position when it came to voting rights or other issues very very challenging issues you know and and companies take a hit for it right levi strauss taking a stand on gun rights or cvs taking a stand on tobacco so you suddenly start to see society pushing companies to have a stance on these issues mm-hmm. and the word moral creates makes people easy because somehow it somehow gotten this bad rap you see i think we have to understand that organizations have to come to realize they have to have both 
goals. I want to deliver profit. I want to deliver returns for my shareholders. Absolutely no. And we'll, let's talk about that too. Purpose and profit. I want to come to that because that's another confusing source. But along with goals, there is duties and responsibilities. We have, uh, we're not just tax paying, obeying the law. It has, it is more than that. And society expects more of us. And you can see the business roundtable rewriting their purpose statement and saying, we have to take a stance on sustainability. You can see Larry Fink's influential letters, really, you know, advising public company CEOs, you got to take a stance. And, and purpose becomes a kind of proxy or a litmus test. Mm-hmm. By the way, and, and also, are you thinking long term? Not just short term. Or just by the quarter, yeah. Yeah, so how do you bring all these ideas together? My goals, my duties, my long-term vision, my short-term vision. How do I deal with other stakeholders in my community and society? All this gets kind of wrapped around into this purpose idea. And I think the part I think is important to understand, this is something I've realized after finishing the book, a purpose of a company is not a purpose statement. Right. So we, we kind of somehow say, oh, yeah, purpose means having a purpose statement. And, you know, it was really interesting. Financial Times did a great article. I love the title. It was called The Baffling Search for Purpose in Purpose Statements. <laughs> That's excellent. And, and a, a cruder version of that was an academic who wrote an article about more than a decade ago called Sex, Lies, and Mission Statements. <laughs> So, you know, I think we have to understand that leaders need to be able to articulate a purpose, which may have to then become a statement. So there's a one-liner that Microsoft did, right? Best Buy, and some of them have to revise it over time. Best Buy has been through four. Microsoft has been through three of them. Uh, Johnson & Johnson has a credo. They've they've kept the yeah. original credo, but they've evolved it over time. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. So I think, the question is, how do we go beyond a statement? How do we make it real? How do we bring it alive? Yeah, that's, we're going to talk more about that. And, and believe it or not, we've already got to our first break. It goes, it goes by so fast. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We run the air with Dr. Ranjay Golati. He's the author of Deep Purpose, the heart and soul of high-performance companies. We've been talking a bit about his work and his research and what he's learned about companies who practice deep purpose. After the break, we're going to hear more about how they actually pull it off. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the program. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Dr. Ranjay Golate. He's the pro- professor at Harvard Business School and an expert in leadership, strategy, and organizational growth. He's the author of Deep Purpose, the Heart and Soul of High Performance Companies. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So 
I talked about now, we have to talk about how we, we operate this with this stuff. So one of the things that you talk about in your book that I, again, have not heard anybody address is the notion of how you handle trade-offs when you're working from purpose. So you, you talk about as you forge trade-offs, you communicate them by explaining how they connect to and support the purpose, being explicit. Um, being explicit builds cohesion, giving meaning to the sacrifices stakeholders are making, and further reinforcing the field of meaning emanating from the purpose, which is just gorgeous, Ranjay. It's just gorgeous. Well, thank you, Dr. Cortez. Uh, I want to just say first things. Um, uh, purpose equals profit. Let me be very clear. <laughs> this is not charity. This is something that I had to come to realize. A lot of people think of purpose as CSR, which is a sideshow. So I put a foundation in place. We do a little outreach in the community, you know, mm-hmm. we do whatever, whatever. Once in a while, if there's a tragedy. We kind of also put out a, some money and we have an earmarked budget. We have a head of CSR. Purpose is working from the core of the business, not in some sideshow on the right. margins or periphery of the business, right? Right. Now, once you bring purpose into the center of what you're doing, into the very business itself, now you're thinking, I have to make some messy choices. Yep. And I have an article coming out next week in the Harvard Business Review, which is called The Message, Messiness of Purpose. Because people somehow came up with this idea, this is what also came about, was people said, oh, purpose means win-win. I win and you win. Everybody wins. <laughs> and some people have gotten really offended by this win-win notion because they have come to this notion that purpose is win-win means businesses only do good things when they make money doing them. So show me the money and I'm happy to write you a check. Is there a brand value in it for me? Is there something in it for me? So I'm only going to play in that sweet spot where social benefit and commercial benefit intersect. And I found and, and I'm reacting. And a lot of it is, think about individuals right now. You know, some people who are purposeless, if I may say so, are people who don't have one yet. We tend to go through life reacting to the circumstances coming at us. We make choices based on expeditious, kind of short-term, immediate thinking. Do I go left? Do I go right? Am I going to eat Chinese or Italian today? You know, so I'm kind of like, I'm making my choices. When we have a purpose, we become much more proactive. And when we communicate that purpose, other people in our orbit understand us better. And then if we use purpose as a compass, when we make trade-offs and choices, it allows us to be very clear. Look, I'm sorry I can't help you, but but I got to explain to you, this is my purpose right now is to do this. And I can't do anything else for you right now. I learned this actually in an interesting way. One of the companies I looked at was a company called Orsted. And Orsted is a company that completely reinvented itself as a green energy company in a little more than a decade. Hmm. And, and the chairman said to me, he said, you know, purpose allowed us to make demands of our stakeholders. Instead of reacting to our stakeholders, we could tell them, I'm sorry, this is what I need from you. Remember, I'm trying to become... And you open a pathway because I'm not going to be green overnight. It's going to take me a, a decade to get there. So my journey is going to be messy along the way. So listen, cut me some slack and instead help me, partner with me, collaborate with me, as opposed to kind of making my life difficult. Mm -hmm. So how do we create a model of engagement with the world at large around a common belief? And, you know, it's 
when it works, but it really works. But I think you have to convince the skeptics who still can't get over the idea. This sounds just too good to be true. <laughs> Ranjay, it's too good to be true. I'm sure you've, you know, you work with so many companies around this topic. I'm sure one of the first things you encounter within. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I've been laughed at many times. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, but, you know, so here's a here's an essential ingredient, which I wanted to get to next. Um, it's uh, being idealistic. So one of the other great things you, you say, and I have to read this passage because it's just gorgeous, is you say deep purpose leaders are the best kind of idealists struggling endlessly to marry their dream seeking with the realist hard edge. The injection of reality doesn't pollute idealism, but rather enables people with lofty ideals to actually improve human existence. And here's the greatest paradox of them all. In bending idealism's arc to, the, to accommodate the messiness and imperfection of commerce, deep purpose leaders ultimately do generate more value for everyone. Understanding and pursuing such value creation to the fullest can empower more leaders to do the hard, never-ending, but ultimately fulfilling work of bringing purpose to life. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have to say that I was so fortunate in this in inquiry to encounter some extraordinary leaders. And, you know, extraordinary leaders. And, and I think for me, that was really profound because I found that there is a different way to lead, mm -hmm. uh, a different way to imagine our organizations. And I want to come to the great resignation in a second with you as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, I met John Olinto. John Olinto is the founder of One Mighty Mill, which is a flour mill that is trying to really reimagine how we even source flour how we process flour, how we then produce flour-based products that are healthy, good for us and not causing all kinds of other side effects. And at the same time, how are we going to be embedded in our community? How do we provide food for the schools in our neighborhood, which are not so fortunate? How do we create, be a member and locating where we do? And that was not his first venture, right? He had a first one. He did, he, he founded B.Good. So he did Be Good and this. I mean, I wouldn't have met him otherwise. Or Satya Nadella, Microsoft, mm -hmm. extraordinary. And each of them talks about their personal journey into this topic. They talk about where they came from. Because if you understand their own personal story, you understand what they're doing and why. Satya says that, you know, a defining moment for him was his son, uh, who was born with cerebral palsy. And it forced him to develop a deep sense of empathy and understanding of the world, right? I talked to Niran Chowdhury, the CEO of Panera, who tragically lost two children to a rare genetic disorder, one of whom died as a teenager, uh, like, uh, you know, and slowly over a couple of years. How that shaped who he is. So tragedy shapes some of us, yes. where we came from shapes. And that purpose then says, you know, I think I can create an environment where others thrive. Um, I'll do a shout out to you know, Ariana Huffington with her whole new uh, venture called Thrive Global. I mean, the word thrive has so much to say. And I think if you look at the great resignation or whatever we're calling it. So this is another one right now, right? The great resignation. My God, people are leaving. You know what yeah. the answer is? The answer is we got to pay them more. In fact, CNN called it the great upgrade. <laughs> what an upgrade. I, okay, fine. I agree there are many occupations that desperately need an upgrade and I'm so glad we are doing that upgrade. 
But I think people want more than money. I think it's I completely agree. Yeah, completely agree. Money for sure. Everyone wants to get paid, but we're not human beings. We're not coin-operated monkeys. You know, put a coin in me, and I'll do a dance for you. We have other aspirations too, and I think in COVID, we've all come encounter death, illness, fear, in a very, very close way. And as you think about that, what happens is that we become we expect more of our lives, we expect more of our work. So I think it's the great rethink. To me, what's going on is the great rethink of life and work. Now, we leaders. What are we going to do about that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I actually, I'm writing my my next book as well, and we'll be addressing that as well. So I have clients that, that literally, there are people who are just flying out the doors, and and so we're working with them to be able to address that. So you talk about four distinct benefits in your book that about purpose that I think can really help, right? And I'm completely with you, Dr. Golati, that, that it's not necessarily about the money. There's so many other factors, well-being, and do you, do they care about you, and is this work meaningful? Am I part of something that's that's bettering the world, right? So. Um, if you talk about four four benefits. One of them is directional. So will you speak to each of these four for us and kind of bring them to life for us? So, absolutely. Uh, and uh, Dr. Cortez, I'm so glad that you know you and I are observing similar dynamics over here. Mm-hmm. So that people will recognize this. So I talked about the four benefits because of this purpose-profit connection. So there's a huge effort underway among academics, consultants, and even finance people about trying to correlate purpose and performance. Yes. Can purpose explain 10-year, 5-year total shareholder return? Can it correlate to growth and patenting or something or the other? And even how do you measure purpose in the first place? That's a pretty messy endeavor to begin with. I'm part of that effort. So I'm involved in a project where we're going to have large sample data on this topic. But I said, okay, I'm talking to people. I want to ask them, how can purpose benefit? I asked them, is purpose good for your business? And then the answer was universal. At least the companies I looked at was resounding yes. I said, how? And through those conversations, I discovered four pathways. The first is the most obvious one. People show up to work differently. If your people buy into purpose, but if they buy into, and then I have a whole discussion on how do you get them to buy in. Mm-hmm. If people buy into purpose, then you're going to have an inspired workforce, not even an engaged, but inspired workforce. And that's a whole different level of productivity. Agreed. The second one is also obvious. Marketing people have talked about purpose branding, that you know customers are increasingly trusting of brands that stand for something bigger than themselves. So we have a reputational element to it. There's a third element. And the third element is is relational. How do you connect to your community of stakeholders, suppliers? And I have examples of that. And then the last one is the is directional. How you use it as an orienting system. So I wanted to carve out and show. Now there are some companies doing all of them. One of them is a Swiss company called Bueller. Mm. Nobody here will have heard of Bueller, but every one of you has been touched by Bueller at some point in time because they make equipment that is the largest provider of equipment that processes a lot of the grain in the world, the milling machines, right? They process lentils, right? Oh, by the way, chocolates also. They have a chocolate processor. If you are eating lint chocolates or Nestle chocolates, you know, so you have a lot of products that are touched by that. And pasta, 
pasta processing machine. So they, if you eat pasta, most likely you've been touched by them. And they said, okay, first of all, food is a major contri contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. Okay, we're going to make our machines more efficient so there isn't, there's less waste and we'll make them more energy efficient. But our impact is going to be fractional. The biggest energy footprint of food comes from, besides, of course, vegetarian and non we will go to the plant-based protein is a different conversation, is waste. Mm. Mm. Now, we, because of our place in the food value chain, we know all of the players. Every one of them buys our machines. Okay, we're going to bring them all together. First, what's our purpose? Our employees better buy into our purpose. We're here to make the world a better, innovating for a better world. How are we going to do that? We're going to bring our whole value chain together, everybody together for a convening event. And we'll talk about why it's important and what can we all do about it. We're going to bring in experts. So how do you engage broader? I think to understand that and then drive performance, is it going to help their performance? Absolutely. Hmm. So I think we have to recognize that purpose is good for business. Well, and then, yes, and then we got to, We have to actually learn how to say that well, right? So one of the other great things that you talk about is the importance of communicating the purpose. with, And, and the, just the way that you describe that is so compelling. So would you say a little bit more about the way um, these deep purpose leaders describe their purpose? So I thought I, it was fascinating, Dr. Cortez, because, you know, I can talk about strategy. I can talk about my goals. I can talk about a lot of things. I can even talk about my mission statement. I can talk about vision statement. I can talk about culture. How do you talk about purpose? Mm -hmm. Especially further down in the organization. And there's mm -hmm. a there's data showing there's an exponential decay in purpose understanding in organizations. Done by a colleague of mine, George Serafim, as well as by McKinsey, showing this exponential decay in organizations when it comes to purpose. And so you say, okay, what's the leader's job? How are you going to communicate this? Because people, I told you, are cynical, saying, oh, God, another one of the slogans. <laughs> and usually, and the, you want a purpose statement that is expansive and ambitious and as aspirational, but at the same time, the more inspiring it is, the less concrete it is. Mm -hmm. It's so true. How do you connect a inspiring, expansive with concrete? And I found that the masterful leaders are amazing communicators and they do it through storytelling mm -hmm. they understand what we academics like to call a narrative right so they build a narrative they build a story and they lay it out as a story in their personal story so you know if you read an article by uh, Indra Nui uh, in the Harvard Business Review last year where she talks about what she did at Pepsi yeah you know she tells it as a story like about her story and how growing up as a child, you know, there was no water in the house and her mother had to get up at 3 a.m. to get one bucket for each child. So everyone had one bucket of water. And what does that mean growing up? means that we have to really think about water conservation, especially in water-scarce regions. And one of the biggest consumers of water is companies like Pepsi. So how do we need to think about the environment, about community? How, what is the role we play? That's a self-story. Then it's like us, we as a collective, we need to do something about it. And one of the uh, leaders at Pepsi at the time uh, was Frank Cooper. Uh, and Frank told me, he said, it was complete surround sound performance. So I think you have to understand how we engage with our community. 
um, and purpose is good for business, but how you communicate it down because people have to buy it. Now, even then, I have to say, Dr. Cortez, I thought I had it cracked. They told a good story. But I then discovered another wrinkle to this, <laughs> which was surprising to me. And I was a little confused at first. A lot of them would make their employees start to do exercises about asking about their own personal life purpose. Another leader uh, uh, that I got to know was Matt Breitfelder, who was at BlackRock at the time, and now he's the head of HR at Apollo. And Matt had this exercise rolled out where everyone had to think about their personal purpose. Mm -hmm. And I saw this actually also at Microsoft. Yes, you might have written a book. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then I saw it at KPMG where they asked every employee to write out, why do I come to work? And I was like, why are they doing that? Talk about company stuff. They said, and Matt explained it beautifully to me. He said, people will only resonate with a company purpose when they themselves feel a purpose in their own life. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Unlock. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm not going to let you go. You know that, right? We've got to grab a quick break, but I am not letting you go. You can run, but you can't hide. I'm very fast okay. on my feet. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We're on the, on the air with Dr. Ranjay Gulati. He's the author of Deep Purpose, the heart and soul of high-performance companies. We've been talking about the, the, the gist of his book and the, his work. After the break, we're going to talk more about how to treat those human beings that are inside the organization, powering the purpose. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining the program, my guest today is Dr. Ronjay Golati. He's the professor at Harvard Business School and an expert on leadership, strategy, and organizational growth. He's the author of Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High Performance Companies. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So part of the reason that I am so attracted to this field, uh, Dr. Golati, is, is that to me, the 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 pursuit and as it is so aspirational, right? It really calls us to be our best when we when we go down this purpose path. And and so it's really hard work, right? This is this is not for the faint of heart. And one of the things that you talk about in your book that I think is really critical is you talk about how deep purpose leaders bind organizational purpose to team members' personal growth and development and just how riveted they are on celebrating um, this, the uniqueness of each human being and elevating that. It's just, it's beautiful the way you talk about that. So will you give us more more depth into that view on how purpose leaders are, are helping steward the growth of their employees? So, you know, I, I have to say, um, Kathleen Hogan, the CHRO of Microsoft, said it really well. Um, she describes it as the following. She says, you don't really work for Microsoft until Microsoft works for you. Oh. And, and you have to reflect on that statement because I at first was confused of what that means because 
I thought, oh, what do you mean Microsoft works for you? And, and the idea was we want to elevate your life, right? And if we can't help elevate your life, then, you know, you shouldn't really be here. Now, ask yourself what's behind that. So the first thing is, I want now, if you say I want to climb Mount Everest and I want to go bicycling and I don't want to show up to work, then that's not for you. This is not a free for all that, you know, we're giving you a blank check and don't need to show up to work. No, we want to align what we do, our purpose with your purpose. And we're going to do our best to bring connection there. Our job is to empower with the world through technology. If you have an idea of something you believe in, right? Even if it doesn't make Microsoft much money, we'll consider it. Hmm. So John Cahan, one of the employees at Microsoft, had a very tragedy. He lost a child to SID. And so his team on their own got together and said, you know, we need to find a way to help researchers understand SIDS better. And they found that the data for it was fragmented all over the world. They used, of course, Microsoft Azure and they were going to bring all the data together, put it out there in public source to the Children's Hospital in Seattle and said, researchers, here is the data to help you. Now, that was a pure, I would say, social project. But they also help employees discover commercial projects. Hmm that are connected to their personal being, right? And and how do you do that? So it's about finding commercial and social and the intersection of the two. Now, Satya will be kidding you when he said that, he, he said himself, he said, I'm not kidding that shareholders matter. We can only do these things if we are also delivering for shareholders. Right. So I want to go back to this confusion that purpose somehow means I am, uh, sorry, not making money because I'm so busy right. doing those stuff because my purpose right. is to make the world better. Um, I think it's also about human aspiration. Mm -hmm. I, I firmly believe now, and I really feel that the one positive outcome of COVID is it's elevated our expectations of life. Yes. Oh, yes. And in that process, and life includes work. And so I am pleased for those people who are willing to say if this job doesn't speak to me this company doesn't speak to me i'm not going to belong here and neil young said it beautifully he said leave i don't want to pick on spotify i don't know enough about it but look at the words it's gonna eat your soul yeah, right so, you know, you start to see people making those kinds of statements, right? Saying that, hey, you ex should expect more out of the place you work. And you better be feel that personal connect. How do I feel a sense of pride of where I work? Right? And how do I feel more engaged? Now, this is not, I want to be very clear on this. Is, you can say this is just general diffuse. I work for the World Wildlife Fund, so I feel good about myself. And so all the Red Cross and I feel good. About, no, it also translates into what I do every day. Mm -hmm. So, uh, is the organization trusting enough to empower me to feel like I am doing something meaningful in the actual work I also do? So, it's across the board. Does that make sense? I mean, it does. And and you actually refer you the phrase that you use is caring leaders. You're actually referring to them as caring. I've had this is this show's been on air for seven years now, and and so I've had amazing conversations with people. We've we've treated a lot of subjects, 
including, of course, the importance of developing emotional intelligence and, you know, doing using that in the, your, your leadership. And also this notion of job purposing, right, and, and social purpose in your in your job, in your work. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really appreciate your perspective that COVID has elevated what we expect of life. And I, and I want to be part of championing that higher, which is why I bring people like you on my show. <laughs> well, thank you. I must say, caring leadership is not my phrase. It comes from another really impressive individual I had a chance to meet, and that was Pete Carroll, okay. the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, they didn't have a good season this year, but we'll let that pass. But his entire model of coaching, when he began doing it, was quite radical in the NFL. Now other coaches also do it. And it was this simple idea that I care about you as a person. You're mm -hmm. not just a worker bee. You're not a number. You're not a player. You're not like if you, and, and by the way, doesn't mean he's not demanding. If you don't deliver, he's going to trade you or let you uh, lose. But he said, while you're here, I, I'm not going to just be directing you. I actually want to know you as a whole human being. Right. Who are you? Mm -hmm. Why are you here on this planet? And that's engaging in that personal dialogue in, invites them to think about their own purpose and builds a deeper connection with your coach. So if we are going to be leaders as coaches, which everyone talks about, what does it really mean? And, and I think this notion that you want to get to know people as whole human beings. We all want to feel like we are valued for who we are not for just the job we do. Absolutely. And I know this from the, the years of work that I've done in employee engagement work, surveying that and studying that is most, the most critical, the most commonly uh, referred to element of what drives you know, engagement, connection, et cetera, is being valued and appreciated. And I must tell you, I wrote an article published about a month ago in the Harvard Business Review called, What Do Your Black Executives Really Want? And it was co-authored with my good friend and colleague, um, Frank Cooper, who is the chief marketing officer at BlackRock. And, and we interviewed um, several dozen um, young black professionals, all of whom came out of elite background, elite universities and in elite companies, the best of the best. Meaning every company is doing DEI and doing all that. And it was shocking for us to hear that very few of them would recommend their place of employer to any other black professional to come as work. Mm -hmm. And one of the themes, there were several we talked about, and I hope you'll read it. Um, I would love to read it. Yeah, was this idea around caring. Mm -hmm. Does my boss really care about me as a person? What are my aspirations? What are my ambitions? What are my constraints? What do I need help with? You talk about, we use, we use all the right words, uh, mentoring, support, the, 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 but caring is a very simple and yet a very difficult idea. Mm -hmm. It is. It so is. Uh, all right. So we're coming close to the, at the edge of the show. And the last thing we have to talk about, which is so critical, it's toward the end of your book here, is you say as powerful as purpose is when fully mobilized, it remains fragile. So how do we how do we steward this beautiful thing called purpose, deep purpose? So look, it happens to us individually too, right? <laughs> we may have a purpose in our lives, but then we get derailed. Something happens in our life, we get whacked left, right, center, or we have an opportunity comes up and we say, ah, forget the purpose. I got to go for that. So we all have our kind of hiccups and roadblocks or whatever you want. But companies I found fascinating. 
And I actually saw this in iconic companies that once upon a time were, you know, put on a pedestal, Johnson and Johnson, right. like Credo. And then you have about 20 years ago, a decade of scandal, you know, shutdown of factories, the CEO having to apologize in front of Congress, fines. And you're like, what went wrong? Or you look at Boeing and the 737 MAX scandal. Boeing was a really proud engineering company on the frontier of safety in aviation. What went wrong? And so everyone says, oh, it's the culture. You know, it must be the culture. And culture, yes, for sure. But I think if you really probe deeper, it was also kind of a, you lose your way. Yes. You lose the purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I also saw this, especially in founder-led companies, where the founder who personifies a company and then leaves. And in some cases, they come back. And when they come back, you know, look at what Howard Schultz said when he came back to Starbucks many years ago. He said, Starbucks has lost its soul. Yeah. Steve Jobs, when he came back, had the same thing to say as well. So there's something about organizations that is this kind of elusive but profound thing that we might call having a purpose and that becomes an orienting system i want to remind you again purpose is profit it's not and i think i wish people would understand that that look here's a way to drive growth achieve great success and build a humane work environment where people want to come to work right what's wrong with that sounds good to me and i think you have been doing that i think is as i kind of Look at what you've been doing. That's kind of the path you've been on, trying to get organizations to transform themselves into the workplace where everybody wants to come to work. Yes, that's what I've been up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And Bueller did that. I saw Bueller in just a couple of years of doing this kind of purpose efforts. They became among the top most desirable places to work in Switzerland. It works. I know. I believe you. It works. <laughs> I'm in. Um, so we're at the end already, Dr. Golati. It happens, it goes by so fast. You know this show is listening to my people across the world, and they, they are out to join us to help develop workplaces where people actually want to come to work, do their best, and we do business that betters the world. What would you like to leave us with today? I hope all of us should expect more out of our lives. Mm-hmm. We should expect more out of our work. Don't sell yourself short. As one young person I interviewed who is a deep purpose leader said to me, I had to ask myself, what is my time worth? And the moment I did the math and I said to myself, that's crazy. I'm selling myself short. And then she said, what's the right number? And she said, there is no number. How do I, you know, allow myself to aspire to make a difference in the world, have an impact, and of course be paid well. So I'm not saying it's not about getting paid. Practical idealism. How can we reconcile those things in our lives? And I hope we expect more out of our jobs, more out of our lives, and use purpose as the way into it. Smashing way to finish, Dr. Galati. I thank you so much for joining me. You are a gift to the world. So nice of you to say thank you. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share my ideas here. And I feel really fortunate to have had students who nudged me to study this topic and really nudged me to do that. And for all the leaders who shared their time with me to share their stories. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely, here, here. If you wanna learn more about Dr. Ranjay Galati, his books or the work he does, you can start, there's two places I'm gonna send you. One is his book site, which is deeppurpose.net. 
The other is his own personal site, ronjaygalati.com. Let me spell that for you. It's R-A-N-J-A-Y-G-U-L-A-T-I.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a re-recorded podcast. We were on there with Dr. Nathaniel Zinser talking about his book, The Confident Mind, A Battle-Tested Guide to Unshakable Performance. Next week, we'll be on there with Lori Van talking about the real problems of burnout in the workplace and how many employees in this period of the great resignation are looking for companies to work for who will honor their well-being. See you there. Remember that works at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.